As you're taking your seats, you can go ahead and grab your Bible and open up to Philippians chapter 2. While we are um, on the cusp of a new year, and uh, I hope for many of you that means maybe a fresh start, um, maybe some excitement as you look upon what this year may hold for you. Maybe you're kind of done with this year. I mean, um, our church has been decimated with sickness. By the way, um, um, you can't really see it right now. The first service was thin. We got like no kids in the children's ministry. Um, and so out with the old, in with the new. Amen? <laughs> like let's, let's health and prosperity. But most of all, listen, listen. We, we, as we look to the next year in front of us, what we long for most of all is not physical health, although that is good. We long most, I hope, for spiritual health. I hope we long for the blessing of God, most importantly, in our spiritual prosperity, in our growth and godliness. And as you maybe have an opportunity, maybe some of you are accustomed to setting some goals, some benchmarks for the upcoming year, um, some resolutions as you look towards this upcoming year. Maybe you've begun already to evaluate this past year. And if you haven't, now is as good a time as any to look back over this past year and to start to examine maybe your life and some of the things that you hoped to do that you didn't get around to or some of the things you meant to change that you really didn't have much success in. And maybe as you look to this year, it's a time for you to begin to really seriously kind of dig into some of those things so that this year can be a year of greater growth than last year was. And maybe just as a help as we get into this, maybe if you haven't begun to focus yet on maybe some changes for this year, why don't you just take a moment and in your mind or maybe even on your page, why don't you write down the top two things you hope to change this year or focus on this year. Go ahead. Too many of you looking up here. (laughs) You got those top two things maybe? Maybe they just instantly spring to your mind. Maybe you need some time to process a little more, but maybe, maybe they've come fairly quickly for you. Now let me ask you maybe a follow-up question that's more important. Why those two things? What's the motivating factor behind desiring to change those things? I think very often we're really good at and maybe quick to come up with the what we want to change, but really we are deficient in many ways in coming up with the why. And really when it comes down to it, the why is what matters most. It's the very thing that propels us to change the what, to do things differently. And that's essentially what Paul has been laying before us. You see, what Paul has told us in Philippians chapter 2 is that we are being called to have lives that look increasingly more like Jesus Christ. That's kind of the heart of this text. And what he's done is he's come to us and he said, look, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's a call to have an attitude of humility that is expressed in actions of humility. But listen, it's intended to lead to this place of adoration a place of motivation. And Jesus is being held up to us as the model to follow. But here what Paul does is he infuses, as we look at the story of Jesus and the story of the incarnation, he infuses it now with a sense of purpose and meaning, an ultimate goal, an ultimate end objective. You see why we are living a certain way is often produced by the end goal, or at least it should be. What it will lead to, what it will produce. And for the Christian, both the ongoing and the end goal is to be, listen, the adoration of God. 
There is to be in the heart of every believer a desire to adore the God who loves them and saved them. That was and that is the ultimate goal of the incarnation. That's what Paul has been walking through, the incarnation, that God became flesh, that Jesus Christ lived this perfect sinless life, that he was offered up as a divine sacrifice in obedience to the will of the Father, even death on a cross, taking upon himself the curse for us. And now he moves towards the climax, the goal. And what he says is intended to stir our hearts. And it is to be the goal for which we live our lives as we strive to look more like Jesus and to live for Jesus. Paul says these words in Philippians 2. You can read with me in verse 9. He says this, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's the guiding principle of life. For the believer, the adoration of Jesus Christ And therefore, it must be cultivated intentionally throughout our lives. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three things this morning. Adoration happens first when I determine his universal position. When I determine his universal position. Now, the very first message a a couple weeks ago, we looked at Christ's eternal position. The position he held in heaven in eternity past. That he existed in glory with the Father and with the Spirit, in eternal relationship, always in this place of exalted glory, and he chose willingly to come to this earth to take upon himself the form of a servant, Paul says in the verses just before this. In the likeness of men, he was born. He became a human being, and he died a horrendous death, taking upon himself, as I said, the curse for us. And as we know that the story unfolds, the incarnation leads to the crucifixion, but that leads to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus are pivotal, they're highlights in the Christian life because they remind us that Jesus is alive, amen? And because Jesus lives, we too can experience this life both now and into eternity. There is hope that God can bring us from death, spiritually speaking, to life, spiritually speaking. But one of the things that Christians so often kind of leave off in the gospel message when we present the gospel, when we even think about the gospel, I mean, we get some of the the building blocks there. We get the the pivotal things like the the incarnation, the crucifixion, and even the resurrection, and even the ascension. But one of the things we fail sometimes to acknowledge and appreciate is the exaltation. And that really is the climax. That, that is where this is all heading. It caps everything off. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the author says that Jesus Christ, after finishing his earthly mission, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. The right hand, he says, of the majesty on high, where he now rules. You see, this is important because while the message of the resurrection and ascension is that Jesus lives, the message of the exaltation is that Jesus reigns. This is what Paul is unfolding in these verses before us. It is the supremacy of Jesus Christ to reign over all things. 
And by discovering this, determining this, excuse me, what I mean is not to set it in stone, not that you ultimately are the determiner of this reality, but that you find it out, that you discover it for yourself, that you determine it to be so because it actually is so. And to truly understand what God says about Jesus, to really discover this for ourselves, listen to what he says. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus. This term that Paul uses for highly exalted, Paul is kind of amping up the game here. It's a term that's only used once in the New Testament right here. It's a compound word, and it's intended to emphasize, to put into a category of its own, The term highly exalted has also been interpreted as to be super exalted or hyper exalted. It's not just exalted, putting something above something else. It is so far beyond everything else. That's what Paul is intending to communicate to us. The word refers to the highest possible exaltation. It stresses for us the incomparable transcendence and absolute majesty of Jesus Christ. It's used in the Old Testament, uh, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in Psalm 97 verse 9, to speak of God. Listen to this. It's on the screen behind me. He says, for you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. You see, this idea is it's not that Jesus is just one kind of rung or step above all other powers and authorities or deities. He, he is in a category completely separate unto itself. The universal position of authority is actually developed by Paul here in the same verse. He says, therefore God is highly exalted. Look what he says next, him. And he has bestowed on him the name that is above every every name. You say, well, what is the name? Well, Paul is actually in this passage building up to that name. He doesn't reveal it right away. There's there's a beautiful flow of this passage because the name that's been given is everything. The name is the focal point of this entire passage. The name describes for us what it means that he is highly exalted. You say, well, what's the name? It's not Jesus. In, In fact, where it says in the next verse that at the name of Jesus, that can be translated at the name given to Jesus, that's the sense that it carries. You see, it's not the name Jesus. Jesus was the earthly name that was given to Jesus at his incarnation. It's an important name, but really it's not that unique in the grand scheme of things. People, even today, mostly in other countries, name their kid Jesus still. It was a common name in Jewish times as well. It's not Jesus. The name here is connected to this super exaltation. It's not fundamentally the incarnation, it's this exaltation, this highly exalted position. It's connected to that event, that that event that took place at a specific moment in time when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. And here Paul doesn't reveal it until verse 11. So spoiler alert, we're gonna jump down there right now. Look at this. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is, what's the name there? Lord. Lord. That's the name, that he is Lord. You see that title, Lord, that name, Lord, that that accurately and rightfully explains and describes who Jesus is. It expresses the result of 
what Jesus accomplished in his earthly mission. It expresses now his current position of majesty, of power, of authority, and listen to this, of sovereignty over all things. The Jews in the ancient world, they understood sovereignty over all things as a definitive characteristic of only God. This is really important. They understood when they read the Old Testament and they believed and they proclaimed that only God, Yahweh God, the God of Israel, only he was sovereign. He could not be seen as delegated, that sovereignty, to a being other than God. Angels, for example, they might carry out God's will, but they did so as servants subject to his command in limited areas of his rule. But God's universal sovereignty itself was intrinsic to the unique identity of him as sole creator of the universe. He and he alone was sovereign ruler of all. And what's so fascinating here is that Jesus speaks, listen, to a predominantly like mostly uh, Gentile community. And in the Roman world, the Greco-Roman world, they were accustomed to hearing this, Caesar is Lord. Caesar was viewed as a deity. And to demonstrate your loyalty to Caesar in that culture, you had to make that declaration that Caesar was Lord. But here what Paul is doing is he's coming alongside them and saying, no, 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 Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. In fact, this is stressed so much throughout the New Testament. We even see this in the book of Revelation, verse 19, chapter 19, excuse me. It'll be on the screen behind me as well here. Verse 16, listen to what it says. And on his robe, this is Jesus in heaven, listen. And on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The name that Jesus will bear in his exalted place and position is Lord of Lords. You say, well, did Christ become more exalted in his exaltation, you know, after the death and resurrection of Jesus than he was before? Is he now somehow more exalted than he was in eternity past? The simple answer is no. That's not what this text is trying to communicate. The idea here needs to be understood as this. This is a position of recognizably superior authority over all creation. The emphasis is this. Listen, what took place in the exaltation of Jesus is a declaration to the world. It's a visible picture to the world that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. He is the sovereign God and king of the universe. You know, in an earthly sense, um, we, as you can tell, I'm, a, I'm a, a little bit under the weather myself. Hopefully we'll make it through the sermon. Some of you are like, no, that's okay, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, in an earthly sense, we, we, we compare people to one another you know, great people, and especially sports, or maybe, I, I think this applies in other er- arenas of life. When we think that somebody is, is the greatest in a particular sport, you know, like of, of all time, what do we call them? What's the name? Nobody? Come on. The goat. Not the, not the barnyard animal. The greatest of all time, right? But, but you see, when we do this at a human level, generally speaking, there's debate about this. There's, there's legitimate debate about who might be the greatest in a particular sport or particular area of life. Let me give you an example. Like basketball, right? The big debate is, is it LeBron James or Michael Jordan? 
right? Like, who in here thinks LeBron is the greatest? Show, show of hands, seriously. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's no comparison. Come on. All right, all right. We're in Canada, so hockey. I mean, Wayne Gretzky or Mario Lemieux? Gordy Howe, Bobby, or give me a break, old timers. Come on. <laughs> who thinks Lemieux? Seriously, Lemieux? Hallelujah. We have a sanctified church. <laughs> nobody, nobody wanted to risk it. Like, all, all kidding aside, there's legitimate debate about this, right? And, and there's evidence that people want to bring forward to suggest that one person is greater than another. But what Paul is making clear here, that when you stack anybody up, anything up against Jesus Christ in his exalted position at the right hand of the Father, listen, no one even comes close. No one can hold a candle to the position of Jesus Christ. He is so great. He is so much more above anything else in the entire universe. And his position, listen, will be universally recognized as unrivaled, unparalleled, and unequaled. The universe will recognize it because of his exalted position. This is a staggering, staggering climax to the story of the incarnation. Now listen, this is objectively true. It is objectively true that Jesus Christ has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. It is true whether you want to believe it or not. But listen, here's the better question. Is it practically true in your life? Is Jesus Christ exalted to his rightful position in your life, the position of sovereignty or the position of authority? Or, listen, listen, is someone else or something else above that in your life? The fundamental flaw in humanity, in our sinful condition, listen, is that we put ourselves in that position. This was Adam's great sin. I will be the authority. I will be the one in charge. I will be God. And every one of us, listen, when we rebel against God, we are functionally playing God in our lives. And every one of us has this struggle. Every one of us has to wrestle with this. Is God sovereign this morning? Listen, in your decision making? Do you care above all things what God wants for you in your life? If the decisions you're making are pleasing to him, are in accordance with his word, is that your desire this morning? How about the direction of your life? Are you concerned with where God wants to take you, how God wants to lead you, how God wants to direct you? Is he the authority in that area of your life? What about just the desires in general in your heart? Do the desires of your heart line up with the desires of God's heart? Or, or are your desires supreme this morning? Every one of us, listen, we wrestle with this, and as we look towards a new year, this is a wonderful time, listen, a gift of God's grace to pause and to recognize maybe some areas in our life, even this morning, that are not under the authority of God, not, not the supreme authority of God, where we are usurping his authority. And I don't know what they are in your life. Maybe you do right now, maybe you don't. Maybe you need to pray about that or search the scriptures or ask those closest to you, right? I always love to say, you really wanna know what you're struggling with most? Just ask the people closest to you. Husbands, ask your wives. Wives, ask your husbands. You really want to get serious, ask your kids. I want to do this just for a moment. Listen, as, as we're looking towards a new year, this is really important. These, 
these can be just words and thoughts in our minds, or they can be something that are actionable, things that are practical. So here's what we need to do. Listen, just for a moment, just bow your heads. You don't have to look at me. In fact, I would encourage you not to. I just want you to take a moment with God. And I just want you to just, just do a couple. Let me just kind of lead your, your prayers. Listen, I want you to pray. I want you to simply just to ask God, God, one of my life is not under your supreme authority. Where am I, Lord, not living under your authority? Maybe just as God brings that to your heart and mind, would you just, listen, if it's your desire this morning to follow Jesus more faithfully this year, would you just surrender that to the Lord? Would you just say, God, I want to live under your authority. I want this coming under your authority. I want you to be Lord in this area of my life. And maybe just commit this next year. Listen, this is, you don't have to do this as, if you want to. Listen, just say, God, I want this year to be a year of, of greater commitment to your lordship in my life. And just may, may God in his grace and kindness answer that prayer for us this morning. Amen? I mean, every one of us would be better off with more and more of our lives submitted to his lordship. When we put him above all else, what we find is that our adoration is increased. Secondly, note this, that adoration happens when I demonstrate my universal submission. When I put that submission on visible display, not just in my mind, not just in my heart, but in how I'm actually living my life. And here, Paul makes this staggering statement in verse 10. He says this, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. This bowing of the knee is a demonstration of loyalty, but more than that, it's a demonstration of complete and utter submission. It is a full coming under that authority. And here what Paul communicates to us actually derives its force and scope from the Old Testament. You see, Paul is referencing Isaiah 45 here. He's drawing a connection right back out of the Old Testament. In one sense, he's demonstrating, he's showing to us a fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. You see, in Isaiah chapter 45, it's Yahweh's declaration that all will submit to him. Yahweh is the Old Testament, one of the Old Testament names for God, demonstrating, again, his lordship, his sovereignty, and his authority. And we see that in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 41 through 45, this is made so clear. And I, I'd encourage you, listen, if, if you're looking maybe for something a little bit devotional to do later today, um, which might be a good idea on the Lord's Day, do this. Open up to Isaiah 41 through 45. Read and see how Isaiah uh, through the Spirit of God, stresses the uniqueness of the divine name, Lord. Let me just give you a sampling of this this morning. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to this sampling just to show the, the theme through these chapters. In Isaiah 41, 13, it says this, I am the Lord your God. In chapter 42, verse 8, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name, in chapter 43, verse 11, I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. In 44, verse 6, it says this, this is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, 
I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. And then that sets the stage for Isaiah 45, which is where Paul draws from. And in Isaiah 45, the Lord declares his absolute sovereignty. Three times he says this in verses 5, 6, and 18. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Three times. And then in verse 22, which we're going to look at in just a moment, he says this, for I am God and there is no other. And it is with this fourth declaration in Isaiah 45, where God makes the declaration of his sovereignty. And in so doing, he is calling for complete and total allegiance, full submission to his sovereignty and authority. In fact, he goes on to say, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Look at this. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me, here's where Paul quotes, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. By quoting Isaiah 45 verse 23, here in Philippians, Paul is making it clear, Yahweh God and Jesus Christ are one and the same. To submit to Jesus is to submit to God. You say, well, who's going to submit? Paul says it there. You see that? This is really important. Every knee will bow. Every knee. And just so we understand the scope of this, he says this, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, in heaven signifies angelic beings and the dead in Christ. On the earth designates living human beings, those who are alive when Jesus Christ returns. Under the earth designates, listen, those who have died apart from Jesus Christ. And it even designates fallen spirits. You see, what Paul is, is trying to make so clear for us is that there's no knee in the universe that's excluded from this. Whether it's human, angelic, or demonic, every single knee will bow. And you say, well, that, that sounds really great. Well, listen, this, this is not first and foremost a statement of devotion. It's a statement of submission. And those two things can be very different. This is not saying that everybody is going to bow down and forever joyfully worship God. That's universalism. That's the idea that everybody's saved, that everybody will bow the knee and accept Jesus as their Lord. No, this is a declaration. It's a statement that every single person will make, whether they like it or not, here and now. They will make it one day. Their knee will bow before him. This is talking, listen, about every hard heart that's ever lived Every person that's rejected and rebelled against Jesus, they will bow the knee and they will acknowledge and declare that he is Lord. This means that some, listen, some of us, by God's grace, will bow in devotion. We will. We'll bow in devotion. We'll bow in a spontaneous ecstasy and adoration that will last for eternity. By God's grace, that's going to be you and us and you and I. 
but it means that others will bow grudgingly. They will bow regretfully. They will bow, listen, with the recognition that it is too late to bow in devotion. And I just want to say, listen, to some of you here today, regardless of your spiritual state, regardless of your will and how strong and hard it is, regardless of how much you've been resisting Jesus, listen, you will one day bow your knee to Jesus. You will. The question is when? Will you wait until it's too late? Or will you hear the word of God today and bow while there's time? You can bow later in the face of damnation, or you can bow now with adoration. Submission to Jesus can be eternally painful, listen, or it can be, by the grace of God, eternally joyful. How much better to do it now? How much better to heed the warnings of Scripture? How much better to acknowledge what God says is true and to stop living for the fleeting pleasures of this world? How much better to bear the reproach of Christ here and now so that for eternity you can enjoy the blessings of Christ? By bowing, church, listen, by bowing the knee to Jesus every Sunday, listen, this is what we do. Every knee we come together and and metaphorically speaking, we bow the knee to Jesus. That's what we do here. We come and we sing praises to our Lord, amen? Amen. We come and we sing praises and we declare that Jesus Christ is our king, amen? Every time we do that, listen, here's what you need to understand. This is gonna heighten your worship if you just get this piece here. Every time we do that, it is foreshadowing and anticipating a future day when every single knee in the universe will bow and declare what we have the privilege of bowing and declaring here and now. That, listen, That day will be a day when Jesus Christ gets what he is rightfully due. And that's what every heart who loves Jesus here and now ought to long for. We get the privilege of doing it now. We get the privilege of doing it together this year. I just just wonder, how about a renewed sense of commitment to Jesus? A renewed sense of, of submitting everything to him on an ongoing and a daily basis. This year, how about kind of metaphorically speaking, bowing the knee to Jesus more and more? How about us getting lower and lower in humility and dependence? So what can that look like for me? Let me give you a couple things. How about bowing lower in submission in worship? Both personal and corporate. How about coming to church with a heart filled with joy? Yes, wrestling through life struggles. Yes, wrestling through difficulties and and, and sin and tragedies, but coming knowing, listen, that you are forgiven and embraced by the Father. Knowing that God has loved you enough to send his own son for you. Knowing that there's hope regardless of how hopeless you may feel. How about personal submission? How about making sure your life is constantly, daily being submitted to God? You say, how do I do that? You bring it under the word of God. And there's plenty of good Bible reading plans out there, and I'd encourage you, listen, trust, you know, strive to maybe read through the Bible in a year or something like that, where you're, you're just constantly saturating yourself with the word of God. Now, for some of us, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of just reading the Bible and, and just letting it wash over us, but 
some of us, for some of us, that's just kind of monotonous. And so I just, maybe I can give you a helpful guide for how to maybe deepen that experience for you in your life. How about doing something like journaling? Some of you are like, oh, I don't, I don't do journals. Maybe that's why you haven't been doing very well. There's a lot of things maybe you're not willing to do that God might bless. I'm not saying, listen, there's something uniquely special or supernatural about journaling, but let me, journaling, but let me just maybe give you a guide that might help you and be a blessing to you as you strive to, to deepen your relationship with Jesus this year. I do this in my personal time with the Lord. I do what's called a soap journaling, S-O-A-P. It's good because it's supposed to wash you over. That was cheesy, forget it. Um, but, but it's an acronym that I use. It can just be really helpful. Maybe it'll be a helpful tool for you as you're striving to dig into the word of God this year. Here's what you need to do, okay? Just as an example, you're reading your Bible plan. Maybe you're reading two chapters a day, one from the Old Testament, one from the New, or, or you know, whatever. However many chapters, here's what you need to do. As you begin that process, just pray this prayer. Just say, God, I just want you to convict me by something in this passage. Show me something I didn't know or, or impress upon me something I need to hear. You just, just let the spirit of God take the word of God and impress it into your heart now. Just take one verse from your time, your whole time, just one verse. This is really simple, but I'm telling you, if you can do something like this, I promise you, it'll change your relationship with the Lord just in a week. Some of you are like, I don't know, but give it a week and then come back next week and tell me how good it is, okay? Seriously. Just take that one verse, write it out. Just S, scripture, okay? Write it out on a piece of paper, on that journaling piece of paper. S, scripture. Next one, O, observation, okay? All I want to do is I want to ask, okay, what does this verse mean? Look at the context, look at the flow, look at key word. What's the point of this passage, okay? That's what we, one sentence. A, application. What does God want me to do with this? What am I supposed to see about myself? What am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to believe because of this? One sentence. See how easy this is? Super simple. And then P, prayer. Take that verse and then turn it into a prayer back to God. Maybe a paragraph or a page, whoever the Lord leads. Listen, 10 minutes. It's all this takes. But I promise you, if you do something like this, watch how the Lord takes his word and begins to continually, radically transform you this year. Okay, that was for free. All right. The purpose is this. Listen, you dig in the word, you let the spirit of God work in your heart. Here's what increases. Listen, adoration of Jesus Christ. And you see, the greater the adoration in our hearts, the greater the submission in our lives. But listen, listen, the greater the submission of our lives, the greater the adoration becomes. As we live our lives as a living sacrifice unto him. Adoration happens when I demonstrate my universal submission. Third and finally, listen, adoration happens when I declare the universal confession. He moves from this visible display of submission, bowing the knee, to this universal confession with the mouth in verse 11. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is such a powerful powerful confession. The the confession, Jesus Christ is Lord, actually, when you read through the New Testament, it becomes shorthand for the gospel. It's used over and over again as basically just a really quick summary of the gospel. And that actually makes sense when you understand what each of these words mean, what each of these names mean. You see, Jesus, the name Jesus means God is salvation. That's what it means. It's very fitting for the gospel, right? 
Christ is the title Messiah, the anointed one. It, it reminds us of all the Old Testament prophecies about the one who was going to come, of the promise given to David, a one who would sit on his throne forever and rule as the king of kings, the one who would save his people, rescue them. And the name Lord, as we've already seen attached to the book of Isaiah, reminds us constantly of the divine name of God himself. Lord. Yahweh. Church, this is what we confess every time we get together in worship. Isn't it? I mean, every time we get together, we sing these songs, we hear the word, here's the confession of our hearts. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? And that's an important thing to consider. And every time we confess it together, again, let me just remind you, it is a shadow of anticipation of what one day will be true. Every voice in the universe will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone. Soon every tongue of every rational being in all creation will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus, Messiah, is Yahweh. Every believing heart will cry at the top of its lungs in voice and song, and we with the angels would do it over and over and over again for all of eternity. But listen, there is warning in this passage again. You see, the acknowledgement of every tongue to God in Isaiah 45 includes this in Isaiah 45 verse 24. Listen to what it says, the very next verse. When God offers his salvation, when he declares, when he promises that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess or declare allegiance, listen to what it's followed by. All who have raged against him, who will come to him and be put to shame. There are some who will make this statement to their own shame before the living God. There will will be some who make this statement with such deep anguish and despair and regret knowing what's in front of them, knowing that they had the opportunity and they failed. They failed to grab a hold of the grace of God. They said to God, God, I don't need you. I'll be my Lord. I'll live my own life. I don't want to bow the knee to you. I don't want to confess you as the king of this universe. I live for me. I live for here and now. And everyone who declares that in this life will be forced to live that way in the next. They won't live in joy and pleasure and the blessings of God. They'll live in pain and anguish in hell. Every unbelieving heart will confess this. Caiaphas the great high priest of Jesus' day. Pilate, he's gonna confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hitler and Stalin, they'll all bow the knee to Jesus Christ, they'll all confess him as Lord. And while you may think, well, those are some pretty bad people, listen, listen, here church, this is what you need to hear, you need to hear this. So too will your unbelieving neighbor and coworker, and family member, and friend, every one of them will stand before Jesus Christ, and they will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. History is not like a treadmill going nowhere. 
It's all moving towards that day. And I need to appeal to some of you who have resisted for so long. Listen, you've resisted turning to Jesus. And I just, I need to see this passage. Listen, it forces us to consider this truth with a sense of urgency. You are not promised another day. You have no idea when Jesus will return. If you keep living thinking later, 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 you may never get the chance to speak the words with adoration and devotion, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I want to urge you, please, please don't wait till that day. Today, bow the knee. In God's kindness and grace, he invites you. He's come for you. He loves you. He sent his son for you. He paid the penalty for your sin already. You don't have to do that. You get to come to God today. You get to declare with joy in your heart, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I would urge you, please do not delay. Heed the call of God today in your life. Whatever you think is worth it, in the end, it will not be. For those of us who are saved, it compels us to consider the souls of others, but listen, it ought to compel us into a deeper adoration and worship of our Savior. For we know and acknowledge, listen, in this moment, if you're saved, you understand that the only reason you can declare that Jesus Christ is Lord is because God, in his kindness and grace, has opened the blind eyes. God in his kindness and grace has unstopped your deaf ears. God in his kindness and grace has brought you from death to life and you realize that that is all a gift of his mercy and faithfulness. Knowing that and believing that increases our adoration for we realize that we have contributed nothing to this equation. God and God alone has done it all, amen? What's your confession this morning? I hope and pray your confession is Jesus Christ is Lord. But let me ask you, are you simply confessing this in your heart or are you simply confessing this when you come to church on Sundays? One day we will declare with every person in the universe, Jesus Christ is Lord. But let us not shrink back from declaring it to every person in the universe here and now. You see, I think this passage is intended to push us outward. It pulls us in so that we declare it in our hearts, that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved, but it pushes us then to go outwards and declare it to the world around us, believing that God desires more and more people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I wonder as you look towards this next year, how this passage might push you out. Might push you out with greater confidence and greater courage to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. I wonder what would happen if every one of us committed to share the gospel with one person every single week this next year. 52 people hear the gospel from your lips this year. Can you imagine? You say, well, that's, that's really hard. Really? 52 people hear the gospel from your lips this year. Multiply that by 700. If we would commit to simply sharing the gospel with one person 
every week of this year and at the same time praying that God would so work so mightily in the hearts of some so that some may declare with joy and adoration Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me ask you this, listen, all the pain, all the struggle, all the difficulty, would it be worth it if one person by the grace of God declared that Jesus Christ is Lord? But listen, by God's grace, he could do so much more. I mean, one person, really? You don't believe if you're faithful to do what God's called you to do, that God's gonna be faithful to do what only he can do? We just need to step out in faith and trust and pray that God is going to do miraculous things in the hearts and lives of others. It will be the universal confession of everyone. May it be the adoring confession of more now. That should be our heart's desire. More now saying Jesus Christ is Lord. I don't want to wait till then. More now, Jesus, because of our willingness to declare it here and now. You say, why? Why are we doing all of this? Why is this our goal? Why is this our motivation? Or maybe more accurately, what is our motivation? Paul gives it to us right here. Do you see how he closes this here? It's a fitting conclusion to this passage. It's a fitting conclusion to this sermon. Listen, to the glory of God the Father. That's it. Here we see, by the way, that there's no rivalry in the Trinity, no rivalry in the Godhead. Did you catch that there? I love this. Only delight and honor. This text points out this remarkable fact that Christ, he doesn't keep the glory for himself. And even in his exaltation, he remains this model of humility and honoring the Father. He lives to the glory of God the Father. For it is what the heart is made to do. It's why you and I were created, not to glorify self, but to glorify God. So while everybody is making New Year's resolutions this year to better themselves, many ways to glorify themselves, how about you and I as the church of Jesus Christ make our goals and make our resolutions for one supreme purpose above all, to the glory of God the Father. This is the greatest statement of adoration we can make. Nothing even comes close. It's the reason we were created. It's the reason we were saved. It's the reason that we've been given the mission that we've been given. And it's ultimately the reason for the exaltation of Jesus Christ. May it be so for us. Let us stand and exalt his name alone.